episode eight of the Purely Pigskin podcast. I am your host, Pete Noy. With me once again is my friend, Ryan Tudor. And today we're here to talk about the AFC North, a very tough division, one that I've been looking forward to talking about since we began this podcast and the season previews. So I'm ready to go get right into this thing. Ryan, how you doing, man? Good. Good to be back. Uh, It's always fun, Pete. Thanks again. Yeah, let's do this, man. So AFC North, this really is a very tough division, and I think it parallels a lot to the NFC West, uh, which uh, we previewed on this podcast a few weeks ago. A lot of tough teams. The Steelers, the Ravens, the Browns, I think, are all right there, ready to contend. The Bengals are an up-and-coming team, I think not unlike the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC West, who are probably behind the other three teams, in my view at least, but on the up anyways, with quarterback Joe Burrow and some exciting pieces on the offensive side of the ball. But we've got this whole division to preview here today, and I'm ready to get right into it. Let's kick it off with the Ravens and what we can expect from them this year. You know, the Ravens, there's a lot of talk around Lamar Jackson. Love to spend some time talking about him here. But how are you sizing up the Ravens this season? What do you expect from them this year? Yeah, I'm in on the the Ravens. I'm in on Lamar Jackson. I'm I'm in on J.K. Dobbins. I think that's an exciting back. And they seem to have options there. Uh, Gus Edwards has done some damage. You know, this is a team that won't be afraid to mix in the Wildcat. Seems like Lamar likes to make plays out of the pocket. He's even better when he's improvising. And he's added two more weapons. Uh, I will say I didn't have a very productive year last year fantasy-wise riding uh, Marquise Hollywood-Brown. And uh, for that matter, I felt like it was an off year for Mark Andrews. But you take those two weapons, solid. You add a guy in free agency, Sammy Watkins, who's a dynamic play guy. Been in an exciting offense, remains in an exciting offense. And I'm hearing a lot of good buzz about Rashad Bateman as well. So now you add these two wideouts to uh, an offense that could always seem to put points on the board. Uh, I think this is a fairly solid team. In my opinion, not quite as solid as as, uh, some Ravens defense of yesteryear. Uh, a guy like Kalei Campbell, a little long in the tooth for me. Great linebacker, Patrick Queen, sort of rounding into shape. People who like Marlon Humphrey. I mean, that's a solid defense for me. I'll, I'll put them in the top uh, 15, top 12. But but uh, I think this is a team that's going to score 30 points almost every week. And uh, yeah, I'm in on a lot of what the Ravens are doing. Interesting. Yeah, I think there's a few things I'd love to just tack on to there. On the defensive side of the ball, I think you make a good point. Typically, the Ravens have had a very stout defense, especially in the John Harbaugh era. Ravens have always been good there, but they did lose a couple key pieces there. They lost Matt Judon to the Patriots, and they lost also Yannick Ngakwe to the Raiders, both their edge rushers. Now, they did something in the draft to come back from that. They drafted Jason Owe from Penn State with the 31st overall pick, a pick that they got from the Chiefs. And a lot of hype around this guy. He's 6'5", 257, but he ran a sub 4440 in the pro day this year. So a lot of excitement around him. I don't know if he'll make up for the loss of Judon, especially right away. So I do, I'm with you. I see a little bit of a dip there on the defensive side of the ball, but still a good defense. Yeah, I don't know. You think they, you wear that Ravens logo and you just play 10 pounds bigger and a little nastier. It just seems to be a culture over there, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Let me ask you, though, with Watkins and Bateman, I mean, do you feel like this offense has improved? you feel like they got enough playmakers now to really make you pick your poison if you're trying to stop them? 
Well, I got to tell you, I see a lot of question marks here. Even though I like Lamar Jackson a lot, there are certain things that are giving me pause with the Ravens on the offensive side of the ball. And you said it. They've got a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. But the passing game in particular, I think we're still waiting, not necessarily for Lamar Jackson. I think he's shown enough there to say that he he can throw the ball. He's not just a guy that can burn you with his legs. He can burn you with his arm. But the Ravens have always struggled to have that top wide receiver. And I know a lot of people think that Rashad Bateman will be the guy that becomes their uh, cornerstone at wide receiver. And I really like Bateman as a player, but I'm a little worried that the Ravens might actually ruin him. You know, John Harbaugh has a track record of not really getting much out of his wide receivers. And I'm going to pause here and hit you up with a little trivia to cement the point. John Harbaugh has been the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens for 13 seasons now. My question to you, Ryan, is in 13 seasons, how many wide receivers have hit the 1,000-yard mark under John Harbaugh? So if a guy's done it twice, that would count as two, right? It's not one. uh, So how many 1,000-yard receiving seasons has there been? That's right. And if two receivers happen to do it in the same year, that also counts as two. (laughs) Five. Let me say five seasons of 1,000-plus in 13 years. You are bang on, my friend. No kidding. Five wide receivers. Now, I won't ask you to name the five, but do you, want, do you have a few quick names you want to throw my way? Uh, is Bolden in that mix? He's actually not. Okay. And is we, are we too far back on Derek Mason? No, Derek Mason accounts for two of those five in 2008 and 2009. Torrey Smith did it in 2013. Steve Smith, coming over from the Panthers, right. did it in 2014. And Mike Wallace, who started his career in Pittsburgh but bounced around the league a little ended up with the Ravens. He went for over 1,000 yards in 2016. That said, with the exception of Torrey Smith, none of these guys were drafted or developed under John Harbaugh. Mason was well into his career. Steve Smith, of course, already had a Hall of Fame career when he joined the Ravens. And Mike Wallace, of course, uh, as I just mentioned, starting with Pittsburgh, did pretty well for himself there and elsewhere before having that one decent season. Just a quick follow-up, any guesses on who of those four guys had the most yards under Harbaugh? I don't think it's Torrey Smith. I'm going to say the other Smith. Was it Steve Smith maybe with a big year? or? It was actually Torrey Smith. No kidding. If you can believe it, 1,128. And this is another thing is that none of them really blasted through that 1,000 yards. You know, They were all under 1,100 yards except for Torrey Smith. So even then, you know. So I look at a guy like Bateman and Hollywood Brown. They've got Mark Andrews. They've got J.K. Dobbins. They've got plenty of weapons, but I'm a little worried. I mean, Lamar Jackson's going to be great, but there's something missing there. Let me ask you, with uh, Hollywood Brown, a guy who I told you already burned me in fantasy last year, give me, uh, without checking your notes, what do you think his stat line was in 16 games played last year? Give me receptions, yards, and majors. I remember it being pretty low. I don't want to go too low here, but I'm thinking somewhere around the area of about 60 catches for 750 yards and four touchdowns, let's say that. Man, you are close on uh, the first two of those anyways. 58 receptions for 769, but eight eight majors. So uh, at least he found the end zone a few times. But I think just sort of the prestige, maybe the Madden ranking and the straight line speed, 
Uh, this is a guy you think is more productive, but you know, you, you'll he'll get shut out for a quarter or a half, which can make it a little bit feast or famine sometimes with that offense. Last thing I'll say about some of their performance last year, uh, some exciting wins, but really just couldn't find uh, anything on offense in that playoff game against the Bills, which is too bad because it looked like their defense did enough to uh, limit that Josh Allen offense to only 17 points. But, uh, you know, this is a tough team. This is a good team. This is a team that's going to win more games than they lose. I think we're both pretty convinced uh, Lamar Jackson is legit. I guess we'll wait to see if those skilled players can um, make a good team a great team, and that's something I'll be paying attention to. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, of course, be doing our predictions after we preview each team here. Let's move on to the Browns, uh, a team that really took a jump forward last year. Of course, three teams from this division did make the playoffs last year. The Browns were one of them, finishing with an 11-5 and record, which was only good enough for third place in this division, losing the tiebreaker with the Ravens, who finished second. The Steelers, of course, were first at 12-4. and So the Browns have entered... The conversation in terms of being contenders in the AFC, they have a really strong ground game. They have a very well-balanced team. Uh, what are you looking at when you come to the Browns this year? Well, I just have that uh, old line uh, playing in my head, why can't we have nice things? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I wonder if that's what Browns fans are telling themselves after the exit in the postseason. The scramble in particular late in that game must be a tough one for Browns fans to remember. Uh, I don't think you knew this, but I've, I've been to this stadium, in fact, a number of years ago. And uh, obviously football in that city has uh, deep, deep, deep roots. So I'm I'm in on the Browns. I'm excited about this team. It just reminds me of when we have conversations about the, the Los Angeles Clippers. Are we really saying the, the Browns now are in that upper tier? Uh, I think they are, but it feels a little uncomfortable to say that, uh, just given some of the history and the, and the recent history in particular. On the defensive side of the ball, just the first thing I wanted to ask you about is, given what we know about Miles Garrett, I think that he's considered by the players to be a top 20, top 30 guy in the league, not just at his position, I mean, overall football player. Jadavian Clowney is a guy who didn't sign right away in free agency. I'm not really sure what the market was on him. He's a guy who hasn't quite lived up to his billing uh, coming out of South Carolina, I believe it was. Signature hit on the Michigan running back in the bowl game. What do you think Clowney adds to this defense? Is it is, is he a contributor? Does he make a, a scary defense even scarier? You think he's an impact player from week one? Where where are you at on the, the Jadavian Clowney situation? I like the Clowney signing for them. I think he's going to provide a lot uh, in terms of a pass rush for the Browns, especially opposite Miles Garrett, as you said. Anytime you can pair two guys up like that and create a kind of a pick-your-poison for the other team to have to think about, you know, they can't just – slide the line over towards Miles Garrett. They can't just run a double team on Garrett or have a tight end over there to block him or a running back to chip him. Now you got to worry about Clowney on the other side, and that's ultimately going to provide more opportunities for the both of them. Uh, and when you pair those two guys with the secondary that the Browns have, I mean, that's a scary secondary that they're building there in Cleveland. Denzel Ward is already one of the best corners in the league. They drafted Greedy Williams, uh, who they lost to injury last year, but even though he's dealing with some nagging injuries in the preseason, he looks like he's going to be good to go. And, of course, they drafted another corner in the first round as well this year, Greg Newsom the second. So they're really strong in the secondary. They're really strong on the defensive front. That's going to be one big scary defense. And when you combine a, a great defense like that, with the running game that the Browns have with Chubb and Kareem Hunt and the way they pound the rock, 
the Cleveland Browns are going to be a real tough team to, to get the better of this year, I think. Yeah, I think they're going to build on what they did last year. I'm an O-line guy, played a little bit of offensive line. Uh, you talk about Willis Jr. from that draft class two years ago, an outstanding tackle play. Uh, and what I read and what I see in uh, pro football focus and elsewhere, uh, Batonio, Treader, and Teller in the middle, uh, each of those guys is considered top five at their position, uh, which leaves the, the Browns unit on the offensive line quite easily a top five in the NFL, if not a top three, which I think gives them enough balance on offense. Um, you know, this is a division that's going to be playing in, in crappy weather the last five, six, seven weeks of the season and into the playoff if you can host a game. Uh, so if you can get a lead, you can take the air out of the ball with a mix of Chubb and Hunt and a great offensive line. I think this is a dangerous club. I think when it's all said and done, it'll be how good can Baker Mayfield play? Uh, he seems to be a little more consistent. He's capable of the big throws and the big plays. Uh, can he sort of limit errors, limit turnovers in key situations? Uh, if he can, I think they're going to have a great season and be kind of in the mix uh, close to where they were last year. Yeah, I really think that the only question really is on the offensive side of the ball in the passing game specifically. They need Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. to find that chemistry because Beckham Jr., if he can return to form, and they can build that chemistry. I mean, there, there's literally going to be no weaknesses on this team. Jarvis Landry is a great uh, receiver in his own right, but you need a little bit more than that. They haven't really got the play out of their tight ends in the passing game. Hooper's been a relative bust since they signed him to that big contract from Atlanta. So they do need the passing game specifically to really come through for them. If it does, I mean, you're just looking at a fantastic football team here and uh, a real tough out. Okay, let's keep it moving then and go to the Steelers. Last year's division winners at 12-4. and four. Another team with a great defense. I, I think that's going to be a theme of this division is great defenses. But they've got a lot of weapons on the offensive side of the ball too. Obviously, there's a lot of excitement around their first-round draft pick, Najee Harris, out of Alabama. And maybe that's a great place to start, as after the Le'Veon Bell left, they'd never really had the consistency in the backfield. With James Conner, he was getting injured. But now they've got Najee Harris, and the excitement seems to be bubbling over again in Pittsburgh. So what do you see out of Najee Harris this year? Yeah, he's an exciting ball player. I mean, uh, I know we'll talk about some fantasy numbers later. I mean, it looks like he's going to get the the lion's share of the touches. This is an offense that, that is fairly balanced, so uh, you're not going to be able to load the box up against him. And he does come from that line of dominant physical uh, runners out of Alabama. I mean, Derrick Henry would be a foremost example, but remember guys like Eddie Lacy, uh, even Kenyon Drake was there. Uh, once upon a time, there's a, a number of guys that Nick Saban seems to bring through there. For me, I mean, the key question here is, is what do you make of that collapse uh, last year? I mean, has there ever been a worse 11-0 and team? Uh, I mean, I remember seeing them at 11-0. and And then uh, to wrap up the season, you lose to Washington, lose a, a tighter game at Buffalo, lose to Cincy, a narrow win uh, against the Colts before losing to the Browns in Week 17 and then in humiliating fashion in the postseason. Uh, I know that Tomlin's had quite a bit of success out there. Let me put one card on the table, Pete, then I'll ask you, I'm going to predict that that, that fall that began uh, week 13 last year continues into the start of this season. Uh, I just don't think they're going to find the cohesion. Uh, I'm not convinced that Big Ben's going to summon uh, the performances of a decade ago. And uh, unfortunately, I think this is a team that is trending 
down. And uh, uh, I think they're going to go from being the most forgotten 11-0 team that maybe we've seen in the last uh, 10 years or more. Um, is that a little too glass half empty for you? Uh, are you seeing some? Uh, <laughs> are you seeing some reasons for optimism there in uh, in Pittsburgh? I think so. I think the Steelers also have a really fantastic roster. Of course, as you mentioned, Tomlin, he's been there like Har- Harbaugh a long time, and uh, he's a really good coach. You mentioned the slide at the end of last year. Obviously, they're going to want to rectify that. At the same time, the Ravens finished the regular season on a five-game win streak. They were just 6-5 and five last year uh, before winning their last five games to get to 11-5. and five. Still not quite enough to catch the Steelers in the end who had built up that lead, as you mentioned. But, you know, this is there's going to be a lot of dogfights in this division. I don't see the Steelers going anywhere, at least this year. Uh, it could be, of course, uh, Roethlisberger's last ride. He could be out after this season, but that kind of leads me into an, another trivia question for you here. Roethlisberger, of course, been in the league a long time now, 17 years to be exact. In those 17 years, how many seasons do you think he has thrown for 30 or more touchdowns? It's oh, an excellent question. And let me just think about some of the weapons that have come through. So 17 years, you're saying this is going to be his 18th year? This will be his 18th year, yep. Let me say half of those seasons he was over 4,000. So let me say nine. Let me put it... Eight or nine. Yeah, eight or nine. The answer is actually four. Is that right? I was thinking there was a, a couple of years there where he really lit it up. I mean, I know Antonio Brown was there and a few others. Interesting. Yeah, four. And this this might even be more surprising. Only four of 17 has he ever thrown over 30. He's never thrown 40. And of those four seasons, two of them have come in the last three years. Is that right? How about that, eh? And when you consider, remember, in 2019, he was out for pretty much the entire year with that elbow injury. So it's really his last two seasons. He's thrown for over 30-plus touchdowns in each of those seasons. And that accumulates half of the 30-plus seasons that he's had his whole career. How about that? What do you do with stats like that? (laughs) Well, I was thinking about uh, Plaxico. I was thinking about Heinz Ward. I was thinking about Mike Wallace, who you mentioned earlier in this episode. Antonio Brown. Yeah, who himself you feel like was good for fifteen hundred years a season and during don't sort for, of prime. Yeah, sorry, don't forget Emmanuel Sanders either. Yeah, and they, they just kept to keep finding good guys, which seems to continue now with uh, not just uh, Smith Schuster but also Deontay Johnson. But nevertheless, what you got to like about Ben is this is a a winner. Obviously, he's held the Lombardi multiple times. He is a guy, despite the injury record, uh, who seems to have toughness personified. Uh, and I think he'll go down as one of the Steeler greats. I'm just going to say that if he's a cat of nine lives, that we've seen all nine of those lives. (laughs) (laughs) He's out of lives. (laughs) From me, just like when you uh, play in Mario in the last life, you run off the cliff. I think this is a guy who's who's, going to run off the proverbial cliff. You know, we've seen a little Mason Rudolph. We've seen a little Joshua Dobbs. um, Maybe the reclamation uh, project in Dwayne Haskins yield some encouragement, but I think this is a team at the crossroads. And uh, I'll tell you this, I don't think if they rework that contract in the offseason, they even find a way uh, to bring some semblance of a, of a 500 ball club. So we'll see how this project goes. It sounds like I'm a little more pessimistic than you are. For me, I'm going to go ahead and predict that that slide continues. And uh, they find themselves where they've rarely been over the last 20 years uh, towards the, the bottom part of this division. Well, the Steelers are certainly known for their great ownership under the Rooney family and have enjoyed a lot of success, as you mentioned. And I think I would agree with you. If we're casting the net beyond this year, I have a lot of question marks as 
well if Roethlisberger indeed does retire after this year. But this year, I think with that defense and so many playmakers, you know, you got your TJ Watt, your Minka Fitzpatrick, a lot of guys there. And with the the weapons on offense, it's really hard to argue from my perspective that these guys are going to fall out of the race because they've got Juju Smith-Schuster. They've got Chase Claypool. They've got Deontay Johnson. That's a great trifecta there. Even Pat Fryermouth, apologies if I've mangled his name there. Rookie out of Penn State has been getting some rave reviews at tight end. Najee Harris coming in looks good. My only question mark for them really is the offensive line because that offensive line that used to be dominant is now in tatters, and they really need to pull that together. That's going to be the key thing for them this year, I think. If they can pull that offensive line together and get back to what they're used to in terms of production from the O-line, then they're just going to be fine, I think. But if they don't, then I could see some trouble for them. All right, let's go to our fourth and final team here, the Cincinnati Bengals, a team certainly on the up, but can they challenge the other tough teams in this division? Joe Burrow, uh, after being lost to injury in his rookie season, is back and ready to go. They drafted his college buddy, Jamar Chase, in the first round. And so lots of excitement in Cincy. You see them making a push at all this year in this tough division? Let me say they take a, an important step forward, uh, but not yet at the level to make a push. question I want to throw to you, and I know we finished the last conversation in the previous episode with some uh, Trevor Lawrence love. Uh, we've seen him once since, uh, since we recorded preseason game the other night. If you're to start a franchise, and, and go ahead and take the year of uh, Burrow's experience uh, along with the injury. So, so let's say present day, not total career. Would you rather start your franchise with Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence? Well, that's a tough one. I think it would be easy to go with Burrow there because the flashes that he showed before his injury looked like he was an NFL-ready quarterback. And, of course, without having seen Trevor Lawrence play an NFL down yet, I think there is a temptation to go with what you know, even though it is only a handful of games. But I would, I think I might go with Trevor Lawrence still in that one. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be a fantastic quarterback. They probably will both be fantastic quarterbacks, so it might be splitting hairs to pick one over, over the other. But I would take Lawrence by a hair over Burrow. How about you? Yeah, I don't think you could argue that. I mean, you're right. We haven't seen what Lawrence can do when the games count. Both guys with tremendous collegiate success, sort of like uh, the leadership and moxie and makeup of both guys. Um, I, I'm I'm exactly on fifty fifty. Maybe I'll go alphabetical and take Burrow first, but <laughs> that's how uh, that's how close I think these things are. I know there's a bit of a trend in this past year draft of of adding weapons to guys that played together uh, in college. Um, despite the fact there's a lot to like in Jamar Chase, I know there's uh, every year maybe it feels like a half dozen talented receivers that go in the first round. I think they have enough already with Tyler Boyd and, and T Higgins to be a productive passing offense. I know some games last year, even Auden Tate got involved, and Joe Mixon seems just fine. So I'm, I'm not enamored by the Jamar Chase pick. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, receiver was their, their biggest hole. Maybe it's a situation where the front office said, we just got to take the guy at the top of our board uh, at that moment. Do Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have collegiate chemistry? Probably, but I don't think that's something that would be too hard to find with other receivers of that caliber. So I'll say this is a good offense. Uh Again, I think Joe Burrow's trending in the right direction. I don't think in his sophomore season it's quite enough to get them over the hump. But I think it's their defense that that uh, leaves something to be desired and uh, is going to put them 
on the the wrong side of a lot of ball games. As you sort of assess that four three defense, uh, are there some playmakers that you like on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, is there a one or two studs that you can find really at any level on that defense? So I can think of one guy in Jesse Bates, the safety. But other than that, I'm not seeing too much going on for the Bengals on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, I think that's ultimately going to be one of the things that keeps them from making real progress this year. I, I do very much liken them to the Arizona Cardinals, where they have that centerpiece at quarterback in Joe Burrow, like the Cardinals have in Kyler Murray. They've got a lot of young, exciting weapons on the offensive side of the ball, just like the Cardinals, but they're in a stacked division. The toughest division in the AFC as far as I'm concerned. And this team is going to be going up against three tough defenses twice each this year. Uh, So I think it's going to be really tough for them in this division to forge ahead in the manner that they would like. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you on that. Not much else I can can add. I mean, I think would you rather be them or the Pittsburgh Steelers might be an interesting question. Uh, Obviously for this year, I think you've answered that for us that uh, the Steelers probably have the edge. But in terms of... uh, some developmental pieces. Maybe the, the future is a little brighter. And Cincy, uh, I'm, with bringing in a woozy, I mean, that's a player who's been productive on the edge for the Cowboys. Decent addition. But Trey Hendrickson, I, I just got to tell you, I'm not in love with this signing. I think the money is too rich. Uh, I didn't think that uh, he was necessarily uh, the difference maker in New Orleans, but was sort of a benefit of some uh, talent elsewhere. Uh, so we'll wait and see. But but I, I don't see him necessarily as a cornerstone despite the fact he's getting cornerstone edge money and uh, makes me feel like the front office is not quite as accomplished as it might otherwise be. So yeah, look for the Bengals to, to, to win a few games. Uh, if you're a Bengals fan, go ahead and buy the Burrow Jersey in, in two or three additional colors. I think you have a player there that you're going to enjoy for years to come. Uh, seems to be a guy who likes that city and that organization. So hopefully he's there for lots of years and experiences uh, success, but I don't think a lot of that success is going to be experienced quite yet in 2021. Yeah. He's an Ohio kid. So that he has that hometown connection there for sure. And I have to agree with you on the point as well about taking Jamar chase. I think the temptation was too strong for them to take chase. I likened it earlier on. I think it was way back in episode one of choosing between buying a Ferrari or building a garage in Penny Sewell. I think they really should have gone with Sewell to protect the investment that is Joe Burrow. They already have T. Higgins, who had a great rookie year last year. Tyler Boyd, who's a great number two and still pretty young at wide receiver. So they were already in a good spot there, and they just couldn't resist taking Jamar Chase. I think that might be a mistake. And not that it's a big deal, but Chase has been dealing with a case of the drops in this preseason and training camp. I'm sure he'll work through that. I'm not saying he's going to be a bust by any stretch, but at the same time, I think you've got to protect Burrow. That's the most important thing. He's got enough weapons to throw to. Yeah, I'm there with you on that, and, and it seems like uh, you're more likely to find a, a talented, long-tenured offense alignment at that point in the draft than you are with receivers. Um, you know, when we do our research and reading in the run-up to the draft, the number of top 10 or top 15 wideouts that really never catch on uh, in the NFL is... is uh, sort of a graveyard of uh, elite talent. It's not to say Chase won't become a great player. He likely will. It's just the uh, the room for error at that point in the draft can be really costly if you get it wrong. So again, a, a great draft two years ago, maybe not so strong this past year, and I think eventually that's going to catch up with them. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move into predictions, and it sounds like we might have some interesting choices here in terms of where we see these teams finishing the year. 
and how many get into the playoffs. Let's start with you. Uh, where do you see the teams finishing one through four? So I think your winner of this division uh, is going to be the Cleveland Browns. And I think not only that, they're going to be in contention uh, for the number one or number two seed in the AFC, uh, with all due respect to the, the Bills and the Chiefs. Uh, and then I got the Ravens finishing right behind them as a potential wild card team. I did want to say that uh, I also see the AFC West as being a fairly strong division as well. I think when I compare them like for like, I think there's going to be some some comparisons there. I'm going to go ahead and say that Cincinnati Bengals finish a game better than the Pittsburgh Steelers, who find themselves Ooh. in the basement maybe for the first time ever. This just looked like a team in the Steelers that completely lost their will. And uh, I'm not sure what, if enough has changed in terms of what that team is at, that they're going to regain momentum. I, I just really felt like the team completely lost their identity, got blown out in the playoffs by a blood rival, and uh, I don't think they've quite recovered with all due respect to, to Tomlin and Big Ben, I think they they take a seat in the four seed and find themselves where they almost never are drafting in the top 10, 12 picks come next April. Well, we are going to mark that down as a Ryan Tudor hot take on the Purely Pigskin podcast. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you in terms of the Cleveland Browns. I see them winning the division this year in a tightly contested division. I just think you mentioned the cold weather games and the ability to run the football. I think that, in addition to being able to run the football and wear teams down in the fourth quarter, is going to be the difference in a lot of football games, particularly within the division, where they're hammering that rock with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the fourth quarter. You know the games are going to be close because of that defense. I see the Browns coming out on top in a close one, but we differ from there. I'm going to have the Steelers finishing second. I think they're too complete a football team this year to finish anything worse than that. And I think if one team is going to take a bit of a dip, it's going to be the Ravens, but I still have the Ravens making the playoffs. So we're going to make that three teams making the playoffs, the Ravens finishing third, and the Bengals perhaps having a decent season, but I don't think they're going to have a great season or perhaps even a good season just because these other teams are so good. So there you go, a little bit of difference there in our predictions. So since you've uh, we've had some other conversations about the AFC, you've got three out of this division and two out of the South which I'm going to guess you just got the Bills and Chiefs rounding off the AFC picture. Is that about right? Well, I, I haven't done the big reveal yet, but I, I will do a, a mini spoiler alert here. I've got three teams that are like right on the bubble, and i got to admit I don't know what to do with them yet. One is the L.A. Chargers, one is the Indianapolis Colts, and the other is my own Miami Dolphins, who I'll be previewing as part of the AFC East next week. Those three teams, I think, are going to be in a real close fight for a wild card spot, and I'm not sure they're all going to get in. So, but I got I'm taking three from this division. That's for sure. Bold. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to take two from the West. I know it's a different conversation for a different podcast. Um, but if Pete Noy is not picking the Miami Dolphins to make the playoffs, then you're talking about the wrong Pete Noy because uh, we know end of the day <laughs> where his bread gets buttered. Uh, this is going to be an exciting division, though. I think it always is. And it seems to me, uh, come October, November, there's always a Steeler-Raven game in primetime. And uh, I think you're going to start to see that Cleveland-Pittsburgh rivalry uh, continue to intensify. And, and hopefully we get Sunday nighters and Monday nighters and Thursday nighters. Because these teams in primetime is always a lot of fun, uh, even if you don't have a rooting interest. No doubt. There's going to be a lot of good football that comes out of this division. Let's move into fantasy. I know we got a lot of guys to uh, talk about here that are going to be uh, key 
uh, to winning your fantasy league or perhaps being fill-in guys or perhaps even guys to stay away from that might fall down the draft boards there or, or might be bust this season. And we'll finish off with a little rapid-fire ratings where I'll pitch you some names and you can tell me where you think they'll finish in the grand scheme of things. But why don't we start by talking about some of the wide receivers in this division because there's a lot of talent in this division. Uh, we mentioned Odell Beckham Jr. We mentioned the trio in Pittsburgh. We mentioned the guys in Cincinnati. You know, And, of course, in Baltimore, oh, a lot of questions there. Who are you looking at here in terms of fantasy from this division at the wide receiver position? Yeah, you know, I'm going to uh, sort of fade those Baltimore receivers. I think there's just too much inconsistency there for me. Uh, If I'm targeting a guy who I think, I'm not going to say he flies under the radar, but I like Deontay Johnson quite a bit in Pittsburgh. I think that uh, Smith-Schuster seems to get a little bit more limelight, a little bit of attention. I mean, we could have seen him end somewhere else uh, this past offseason, given sort of where his contract was at. So I'm going to lock on uh, Deontay Johnson. And then also give me T. Higgins. Uh, uh, I'm not necessarily taking him in the first couple of uh, rounds. But again, I think it's a guy, uh, maybe because he's in Cincy, uh, maybe because he hasn't done it for years and years and years, you can get a little later in the draft. But I'm not seeing a, a name here that I'm drawn to kind of reach on, particularly in those top three or four rounds. I think that there's talent elsewhere. So this is a place where I'm looking for a flex. I'm looking for maybe a spot starter. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a good guy who I think some other people are going to avoid. You know, maybe towards eight or nine, you can see Tyler Boyd, Boyd come available and he likes some matchups. But I'm not particularly high on these receivers. And if I had to make kind of a, a thematic comment, I'll just say that there's almost too many weapons that I don't think you're going to get that guy who's eight or nine catches every week, uh, who's sort of a little bit more of the focal point of an offense. So let me get uh, Deontay Johnson and T. Higgins both in the top 30 and probably in the top 25, between sort of 20 and 25 on my receiver rankings. I think for me, and this might be my first hot take of the whole podcast here, I'm fading just about everyone in this division because of the great defenses that we're talking about here. I, I'm not sure how many guys are going to truly have big-time fantasy seasons. And as you mentioned on some of these teams, I mean, how are you really going to say with any confidence who's going to get the ball in Pittsburgh at the wide receiver spot when they have so much talent there? I mean, Juju. I think he's going to be a free agent after this year. I think he is a borderline wide receiver one for any team in the NFL. You've got Chase Claypool coming up. He looks great. And, of course, you got Deontay Johnson, who you've already mentioned, who probably is the favorite target. But, again, that ball is going to be spread around a lot. So I, I'm just not super confident on a lot of the guys in this division truly making a mark and having that bust-out season that you're looking for. The exceptions would be a guy like Nick Chubb, who I just think he's one of the most consistent, safe guys that you could have on your fantasy team. You kind of know what you're going to get from him on a week-in, week-out basis. You know he's going to get the ball. You know he's going to get his yards. You know he's going to be good for a touchdown more often than not. And really, I, I could see Chubb having a career year this year. I already have him on one of my fantasy teams, so I certainly hope so. But I, I really think that he's a guy that could could really go off this year. But after that, I'm taking every guy in this whole division with a grain of salt. That's my hot take. <laughs> I think it's a good take. While we're on the topic, I mean, is Joe Mixon good enough to be an RB1? 
Are you convinced he's going to get enough touches week in and week out? And, and uh, is that offense going to be doing enough that he can get a, a satisfactory sort of yards per touch average? Give me a, give me a quick uh, overview on Joe Mixon and what you think he can do for you in fantasy. Well, as Michael Scott once said, fool me once, strike one. Fool me twice, strike three. <laughs> That's where I'm thinking about when I think about Joe Mixon because I had him on one of my fantasy teams last year and he really did not produce to the level that I was hoping that he would. So I'm once bitten, twice shy with Mixon. I really like him as a player. I didn't feel that Burrow was really looking his way very often. Now that that can happen with a lot of rookie quarterbacks. They're not used to the checkdown game. And that's that's something that's totally new for a young quarterback. When they're playing in college and they're lighting it up, they're throwing 40-yard bombs to their top wide receivers in college. They're not worried about checking the ball down to the running back. That's one of the adjustments that these quarterbacks have to make when they get into the NFL. So that could be it. Sometimes you do see a jump uh, with these quarterbacks in their second year where they start to realize that the running back can be one of their best friends out of the backfield, and Mixon certainly does fit that profile. So I would not be surprised if Mixon had a a pretty good year, but I'm I'm a little shy. I'm still on the fade side with him, maybe because I got burned last year. I'll see your uh, your burn and raise a burn. Uh, that for me was Mark Andrews last year, who I think might be the only draftable tight end in this division. Uh, I'm not sure if there's much else that you like there. He was a guy, I think because of injury and some inconsistency, uh, just couldn't be the dominant player that I was hoping he would be. Before we wrap up kind of on uh, where we think of all those positions, talk to me about your Lamar Jackson quarterback ranking. I mean, I think with uh, guys like Kyle Murray, uh, Josh Allen can run a bit. Obviously, we've seen what Russ Wilson can do. Uh, if you're getting half a dozen or more rushing touchdowns a year, that's going to win you some weeks when uh, your running backs get shut out and it's just going to add to kind of overall production. I don't know if anybody can be low on Lamar Jackson for fantasy purposes. Uh, there's not even much of an injury there concern there for me, despite the fact uh, he's a ball carrier, a number of snaps. How high are you taking Lamar Jackson? I mean, if he's sitting there end of the mid fourth, late fourth, is that a spot for you to take him, or are you going to wait to maybe get two quarterbacks, you know, round 10, round 11? What's your strategy there, Pete? Yeah, I think right around that area I would take a look at him. But I'm glad you brought up Lamar Jackson because I want to share two stories with you real quick about him. Uh, one is recent. One is from earlier this year around the playoffs from last year, last season actually, but this calendar year. Just last week, Jeremy Fowler from ESPN said that according to some of his sources around the league, they've told him that they believe that 2021 will be the year that Lamar Jackson is, quote, figured out. Did you hear this? No, I must have missed it, uh, but I want to hear a little bit more. Go ahead. Well, I just, I mean, first of all, I don't even know what that means. Figure it out as if he has some kind of tell, like in a poker match, what he's going to do. You know, when when he breaks the pocket, I'm not sure that he knows what he's going to do. You can't really plan for that. And I think he's shown enough that he is he's he's a really good quarterback. He's one of the best in the league, and he should definitely be feared. So all this talk about Lamar Jackson being figured out, that's hogwash as far as I'm concerned. They asked him about it, I think, just today, actually, the day that we're recording here. And he said, you know, we'll see, kind of tongue-in-cheek there. So I think he's going to be okay there. The one thing I want to say about Lamar Jackson, that he and this is about getting in his own head, He's got to shut out the noise from everybody else because everyone seems to have an opinion on this guy. And those opinions, if you're Lamar Jackson, should not matter. 
But I go back to the playoffs uh, this past year, and Lamar Jackson came into the press and said, you know, he wants to change this narrative of the Ravens losing in the playoffs. And immediately I thought, what's he talking about? He's only been in the league a couple of years. And this was not a, a big headline when he brought it up. Nobody was talking about that. I don't know if somebody had said something in a local paper in Baltimore or something like that, but when he brought that out in the playoffs, he turned that into a national story, and I thought, this is terrible for him to be framing his career as short as it has been in this way. Now, he was 0-2 in the playoffs up until that point, but to me, that's no reflection on him as a player. He's very young. He's shown that he can really produce in this league, and there's simply no reason for him to even give such a narrative any credence at all. So I think on one hand, he needs to shut out those opinions from the outside. And on the other hand, he kind of needs to get out of his own head and just go out there and ball. Because if he does that, I think he's going to be a great quarterback in this league. For fantasy, I would have no problem with him being my QB1. I like him a lot, but he's got to stay out of his own head. Yeah, can't agree more with what you said. I mean, it's fun that uh, NFL playoffs don't factor fantasy playoffs because uh, that'd be a different conversation altogether in his case. Uh, let me just throw a few numbers your way. I mean, you mentioned he started 0-2 in the postseason, went 1-1 in 2020 for a 1-3 record, uh, three touchdowns only to five picks uh, with a completion percentage uh, just a shade below 56%. But again, we're not talking about the NHL or MLB or the NBA for that matter, we're not talking about a best of seven. Uh, you know, we're talking about 16 It's minutes. purely pigskin, baby. Purely pigskin. This is winner-take-all stuff. Uh, <laughs> but it's 11 on defense, 11 on offense, and special teams. So it's going to be more than just one dynamic player. But uh, at the same time, and for fantasy purposes, you're talking about a guy who, as a starter in the regular season, 30 wins to seven losses, 6-1, and 13-2, and 11-4, and four, uh, with a completion percentage of uh, 64 and uh, the numbers are just tremendous. Uh, 68 touch, touchdowns uh, through essentially two and a half seasons and a quarterback rating north of 102. And that's to say nothing, Pete, of the rushing numbers. You're talking about a record setter on that side of the ball too. Uh, back-to-back thousand-yard years with a, a peak of 1206 in uh, 2019. Seven touchdowns in each of the last two seasons running the ball. Figured out. <laughs> that might be the new playoffs for me, man. Playoffs <laughs> figured out. <laughs> We're talking about uh, Lamar L. Boogie, Action Jackson. Uh, give me every share of Lamar Jackson in fantasy and in real life. I think this is just a special ball player, and I think we'll see it again this year. All right. We'll book that. And let's get into uh, rapid fire ratings then. This is a new segment where I'm going to give you a name and you're simply going to tell me where you think that player will finish in fantasy at their respective position by the end of the year. Are you ready to go? Let's do it. All right. Let's start with the aforementioned Lamar Jackson. I think that's going to be your QB two. Joe Burrow. Let's go QB 14. Odell Beckham Jr. You know, I, I don't think, I don't think he's in the top 30. He might get drafted in the top 30, but let me say uh, wide receiver 44. And finally, Najee Harris. I'm not convinced he's going to come and take things over by storm. Although this is a guy you got to be all over in a dynasty league. But in a redraft, let me say that he's going to be the RB26, which I know is low for a lot of people. Uh, I just don't think that's going to materialize right away. And uh, I might even see some some fumbleitis with those, uh, with those rookie running backs, just sort of getting a feel for the speed of the game 
and uh, those guys that hit a little harder. So give me give me RB26 to the rookie in Pittsburgh. All right. I don't think Steelers fans are going to be very happy with you based on your predictions for this season, both team and player. Well, have them <laughs> uh, have them send all those comments to uh, Purely Pigskin Podcast, and uh, <laughs> we'll let our admin staff handle some of the vitriol that uh, Steelers fans are known for. So let me say this, and uh, take those terrible towels. Keep them handy because it's going to be tears. Tears are coming. Oh, dear. <laughs> In Pittsburgh. He's doubling down. I think this is, uh, I don't know, what's a famous co- company that's, uh, this could be this could be a Zeller situation. This could be a new Kmart. Oh, dear. This is Target in Canada. <laughs> this is good, a good idea at first, but uh, you're going to see it go quietly. And uh, you can't feel bad for Steeler fans. I mean, they got half of the Hall of Fame and a bunch of banners and rings. So are we feeling bad for a Pittsburgh Steeler fan? Not today, not tomorrow, not next year. Uh, And we'll see where that hot take ends up in a couple of months, Pete. In the basement, that's where I think this team's going to be. We will revisit that. And, uh, you know, I actually agree with you in terms of fading Najee Harris. I probably wouldn't put him at 26. I'll probably put him somewhere around maybe RB 18 to 20 in that range. But for me, that's a fade. I think most guys have him definitely higher than that. But I agree with you. I'm not sure he's just going to take over. I have question marks about that O-line, so I'm with you. Ryan, thanks so much for being on the Purely Pigskin podcast, man. We're going to have to have you back in the regular season. Will you be down for that? Can't wait. Can't wait. And uh, a lot of fun, Pete. Good good luck to you and uh, and appreciate all your hard work getting these things organized. I know the people who are tuning in are going to appreciate that wisdom, that knowledge, that fun. And uh, it's going to be a good season. All right. Well, thanks so much for doing this with me, man. I've really appreciated it. And for everyone else, we are on Twitter. You can find us there at Purely Pigskin. We've got a Facebook group under the same name, so feel free to check us out. Give us a like and subscribe. That would help out a lot. Next week, I will be on with my friend Alex McLeod. We will be previewing the final division in the NFL, the division that holds my favorite team, the Miami Dolphins, and Alex's favorite team, the New England Patriots. So there might be some fireworks next week. Tune in. We'll see you then. Take her easy. Take her easy.